You are listening to Shining Star Community Church, English Ministries Sunday Message. Please visit us at www.shiningstar.life. So last week, we looked at one of the most amazing stories in the entire Bible, really. You know, Jesus, he raises Lazarus from the dead, this guy who was dead for four days. He comes back alive, you know, when all hope was lost, when everything seemed to just uh, fall apart, when, when death seemed victorious, and when there seemed no way out. Against all the odds, Jesus brings this man back to life. Jesus is the resurrection and the life. And while this... No, it got a lot of people excited. A lot of people, it says that people start to believe in Jesus and they follow Jesus. There are a group of people, the Pharisees, the chief priests, the religious leaders at that time. They were triggered by this incident and they said, man, we had enough. You know, people are following this guy. You know, too many people are, are, are believing in this guy and we don't want the Romans to, to know what's going on. Maybe they're going to destroy our country because of this. So they say, okay, we're going we're gonna to kill him. We're, we're going to come up with a secret plan and we're going to kill him. And that's where we begin chapter 12. Knowing that people are after him, Jesus removes himself in the wilderness and he spends time with his disciples and then he returns to Bethany, which is the place where he raised Lazarus from the dead. It's the hometown of Lazarus. And we see in verse 1, now it's six days before the Passover. Passover. So just to put things into perspective, Jesus is two miles away from Jerusalem because Bethany was a small town, which was two miles away from Jerusalem. And he's six days away, not just from the Passover, but from the cross. Now, this is the beginning of the last week of the life of Jesus Christ. Jesus is about to walk into Jerusalem, and he's about to get betrayed, and he's about to get crucified and die for the sins of the world. But people in Bethany, they weren't aware of all this, right? They were just happy to see Jesus. You know, Jesus was like a celebrity. Everyone knew Jesus because they knew Lazarus. It, was, it, was a, it wasn't a big town. So everyone knew what, what went on. Everyone knew that Jesus was the one who raised a dead man back to life. And so what they do is they invite Jesus to this dinner. And so we see that Martha is there serving. Lazarus is there. He's at the table reclining with Jesus, showing that this was more like a banquet-style dinner uh, rather than a casual dinner. So everyone is having a good time. And I can just picture people just sharing story after story about the resurrection of Lazarus. Right? Some people are saying, man, man, Lazarus, when you were in the tomb, man, you stunk. Right? You're, I can't tell how, how bad the smell was. Maybe some people were saying, man, when Jesus said, hey, Lazarus, come out, man, his voice, it was like, man, it was something else. You know, people are just sharing stories and how amazing um, this incident was. And then we see Mary walk into this perfect scene, and she makes things a little bit uncomfortable. Mary, the sister of Martha and Lazarus, she comes in and kind of changes the scene. So look at verse 3 with me. If you have your Bibles open, verse 3, it says, Mary, therefore, took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. 
The house was filled with frag- the fragrance of the perfume. So um, a lot of us, we are really familiar with this scene. Uh, we see something similar in all four Gospels. So maybe it's not striking to you. It's not shocking to you. you. But you know, I remember when I first read this, man, this, I just said to myself, this is a very awkward picture. Right? It's just very uncomfortable. This lady is wiping the feet of Jesus with her hair. I mean, I've seen a lot of stuff done in public, right? I've seen people, you know, walk around with holding hands. I'm, I'm okay with that, right? People hugging in public. I was like, oh, okay, that's, that's beautiful, right? I've seen people kiss in public. I was like, okay, that's when I turn my head and away, right? And I give them their privacy. But i never seen anyone, till this day, i never seen anyone wipe someone else's feet with their hair. You just don't see that. And it was more shocking in the first century because back then, Jewish ladies, they didn't, they had their hair bound because it was disgraceful to, to unbound their hair in public. No, it was shocking. It's just an extremely awkward and uncomfortable scene. Not only was it awkward and uncomfortable, but it was very wasteful in a lot of people's eyes. No, the perfume that Mary poured on Jesus' feet was extremely expensive. The ointment was made out of pure nard, which was a very rare herb, um, rare herb which came out from highlands of China, Tibet, or India. You know, and you have to see that this wasn't just perfume made out of nard, but it was pure, pure nard. It, was, it didn't just include scent of nard. It didn't just have a mixture of nard with other stuff. But this was pure, 100% nard. And it says that there was one pound of this. Now, it's not the one pound in, that we understand in America, but it's a Roman pound, which is about 11 ounces, a little bit less than uh, a soda can. So you might think that's small, but uh, for perfume, that's, that's pretty big, right? I still remember uh, when I bought my first uh, clone, right? When I went to college, I said, okay, I'm an adult now. No, I have to take care of myself. So I went with my buddy. For the first time in my life, I walked into a store and sold cologne. And then I bought my first bottle of cologne. And I remember the first time, I didn't know how to use it, right? But I knew that it was precious, right? I spent about 40 bucks on this one bottle, right? So I took a spray, right? And I just walked into it. <laughs> and that was it. I was like, I don't want to waste my, my cologne, right? Uh, it smells nice to me, right? So I'm going to use this as long as I can. Uh, it was just really precious to me. Now, that bottle of cologne was a lot smaller than this. You know, Mary, she brings an 11-ounce bottle filled with the most expensive perfume at that time, 100% pure nard, and she pours it on the feet of Jesus without any hesitation. And watching all this, Judas Iscariot, which we are familiar with, the, the disciple that betrayed Jesus, he figures out what, what's going on. He sees Mary, and he says this, what a waste. In verse 5, if you can track along, verse 5, it says, Why was this ornament not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? So one denarii was a day, day's wage. So 300 denarii was about a year's wage because people did not work on the Sabbath. If you do the math, that's about a, a, a year's wage. So probably in today, the average income, I looked it up on Google, it's about $45,000. So this bottle of perfume was $45,000. 
man, pretty expensive stuff. And, Jesus, and, and Mary just dumps this on the feet of Jesus. And so the scene is awkward. The scene is uncomfortable. It seems like it's just very wasteful. And so I remember growing up, when I read, read this story, I thought Mary is just a little bit extra. No, she's right. She gone a little bit too far, right? She's one of those 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 gals that that has that that is just you know a little extra, you know, uh, a bit much, right? A bit too far. But look at what Jesus says in response to Judas in verse seven. He says this: "Leave her alone," and that's in the imperative. So in other words, he's saying, "Stop it, stop it, Judas," so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. So Jesus sees this action, sees this scene, this picture, this portrait of, of, of this lady. And this lady is anointing his feet. And he's saying, man, this is something special. It's actually pointing to something greater. It's a preview of what's going to happen in a few days. Jesus says, this is pointing to my burial. So both Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew and Gospel of Mark actually records the same incident. We believe in the Gospel of Luke, there's something similar, but there's too many details that are different. The location is different. A lot of uh, the, the background of the woman is different. So a lot of scholars believe that Luke has a separate, um, a separate kind of account of this. And then Matthew, Mark, and, and John, they have a similar kind of view on this one incident. And so I think it would be really helpful if we quickly turn to Mark chapter 14. Mark chapter 14. Mark chapter 14, we see kind of the same incident. And starting in verse 6, it says this. After people were talking about Mary, Jesus says, leave her alone. The same thing that we've seen in John. Leave her alone, verse 6. Why do you trouble her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. For you always have the poor with you, and whenever you want, you can do good for them. But you will not always have me. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body before, uh, beforehand for burial. And truly, I say to you, wherever the gospel is preached in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. So what a lot of people saw it as a waste or as an awkward moment. Jesus says, that is a beautiful thing. This is a beautiful picture. So beautiful to the point that he says, wherever the gospel is preached, anywhere where people talk about my death, my burial, my resurrection, people are going to hear the story of Mary. You know, Mary was not crazy. She wasn't extra. She wasn't a wasteful person. She was a worshiper who acknowledged the worth and the works of Jesus. So that's kind of the driving idea today. True worshipers acknowledge the worth and the works of Jesus. True worshipers acknowledge the worth and works of Jesus. In quantity, in quality, in purity, Mary brings the best she can bring, the best stuff that she has. To Jesus. She brings the most extravagant, the most expensive perfume in her possession, and she just pours it on Jesus. So true worship is costly. We see that Mary, she paid a cost. Worship is not just something you do for two hours a week. It's not just something you come 
and do out of convenience. Worship is something where you offer to Jesus the most important, the most precious thing in your life. For some of us, that's time, right? And we, uh, when we live in, in our everyday life, we make a decision to treasure our time, to set our time apart, to utilize our time for God's glory. That's worship. For some of us, it's money. We, even though we can do whatever we want with our money, we decide and we understand that this is from God, so we're going to honor God in how we spend it. That's worship. For some of us, it's our career decisions. You know, instead of thinking about how much money we can make or how stable this job is, you know, when you think in terms of how can I bring glory to God through this career, how can this career help me, help me to reach people and expand God's kingdom, that's worship. No, instead of viewing marriage as something that fulfills you, as something that uh, completes you, when you view marriage as something that's beautiful, given by God, and you honor marriage in the way that it's supposed to be, that is worship. When you see family and you, you see friends and you just see them as people who are benefit, give benefits to you, but you are seeking to, to share the gospel with them and then share the love of Christ with them, that is worship. Whatever you treasure in your heart, when you offer that to God, that is Worship, true worship takes place when we offer things that are costly in our life. True worship is costly, but also it is passionate. You know, in today's passage, Mary, she's not just pouring out this perfume. She is actually pouring out her heart in front of Jesus. She is pouring out her love and her affections at the feet of Jesus. She's not just doing this out of out of some instruction, right? She's not just doing this because she wants something from Jesus. She is just in awe of, of Jesus, right? She doesn't care about what other people think. She doesn't care about the crowd. She doesn't care about the consequences that might follow, what people might say. What matters to her the most is that she has an opportunity to acknowledge how much Jesus is worth to her. She has an opportunity to tell the world that Jesus is worth it. Her worship has no limit. Her love has no restraint. Her worship is passionate, but also it is humble. Worship is humble. True worship is humble. Mary, she doesn't mind touching the feet of Jesus. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul talks about how, how long hair at that time is, uh, for women was considered their glory. And therefore, he gives instructions saying in public settings that women should cover their their hair, not because it's, it's sinful, not because it's, it's hurtful, but because it's their glory. And when you come to worship God, we got to see God's glory, not your glory. So they, he gives instructions, cover your hair. Hair was the glory of, of women. So Mary, in a sense, she's laying down her glory to glorify Jesus. Something interesting we see is that in the Gospels, the four Gospels, Mary appears three times. And did you notice that every time she appears, she's found at the feet of Jesus? In Luke 10, when Mary and Martha, when they invite Jesus to their house, you know, Martha is busy serving, but Mary, what is she doing? She's at the feet of Jesus, listening to Jesus. Last week, when we heard the story of, of Lazarus, when Jesus came in and Lazarus is dead, the first thing, if you read it, what the first thing that Mary does, she falls on the feet of Jesus and she weeps. And even today, we see that she's at the feet of Jesus, anointing her Savior. 
true worshipers are found at the feet of Jesus. When we come in humility, when we just simply fall on the feet of Jesus, when we recognize that simply we are nothing, that we lay down our pride and we declare that Jesus is everything, when we acknowledge that Jesus is our Lord and not us, that is true worship. Mary's actions were basically screaming that Jesus is worth everything. On the other hand, we see Judas. Man, this guy. Now, to be fair, though, in the other Gospels, Judas is not the only one who's complaining that, that Mary has wasted uh, this perfume. But I think John separates Judas for a very good reason. Right? Because Judas, initially, it seems like he's a very compassionate guy. He cares about the poor. Right? He's, a just, he's just a very good guy. But verse 6 exposes his heart. It exposes his motivations. In verse 6, it says this. In John chapter 12, verse 6, he said this, not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charge, uh, having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. So Judas was in charge of the money bag, um, and he was taking money out of the bag. You know, he wasn't just a compassionate guy. On the outside, it seemed like he was caring and he was kind. But in the inside, the reality was that Jesus was simply concerned about himself. He wasn't concerned about the poor. He was concerned about himself. He was upset that Mary's worship was not benefiting him. He was upset that Mary was not worshiping Jesus in a certain way. You know, if Mary would have donated that perfume to Jesus... He's thinking, man, I could get my hands on that money. I can get my hands on that perfume. So Mary's worship was centered around Jesus. Judas's worship was centered around what he loved, money. He didn't care about Jesus. He cared about getting stuff from Jesus. So here's the question I want to ask today. What is driving your worship today? Is it Jesus? Or is it something else in your heart? No, do you worship to express how much Jesus is worth to you? The very definition of worship is, is, is it means that you're, you're declaring something that's worth. You're declaring the worth of something. Are you declaring the worth of Jesus in your time, in your money, in your education, in your career, in your possession, in your family, in your marriage, in your decisions? Or do you have alternative motives where you simply want to get what you want? Are you declaring how much Jesus is worth to you? Or are you busy chasing after things that will bring you glory rather than Jesus? Are you living a life of worship that reflects the works of Jesus? Mary, when she worshiped, it reflects the gospel. It reflects the burial of Jesus. When people see you, when people see your life of worship, do they see that? they see something about Jesus? Or do they just see you, a passionate guy or a passionate girl? True worshipers acknowledge the worth and works of Jesus. Now, when you think about a good worship, what comes to your mind? A good praise band? Maybe a, a nice, uh, spacious chapel, right? It has to have comfortable chairs, right? It has to have comfortable chairs. Um, the preacher has to be pretty good. And the service has to end in an hour, 
Right? I'm not going to go to a place where Sir goes on for like three hours. No, there's so many things uh, that we are concerned about when we look for worship. But in today's passage, Jesus doesn't give any of that. And he simply says, this is a picture of a good worship. Mary's worship was not appealing to others. It wasn't sexy. <laughs> it, wasn't, it wasn't beautiful in, in the worldly standards, right? But it moved the heart of Jesus. It wasn't wasteful. It wasn't foolish. Jesus calls it a beautiful thing. Mary never took a class on worship. He never went through disciple tra- discipleship training on worship, right? He didn't receive separate instruction. She didn't receive separate instructions by Jesus on how to worship. She wasn't following commands. She wasn't following instructions. She just loved Jesus so much. She loved Jesus so much that that she just wanted to express her heart. The fact that Jesus would raise his brother, her brother, uh, from life. The fact that Jesus would forgive her sins. The fact that Jesus would choose to be her savior. She's just overwhelmed by that. And she wants to express that to the world. That he is everything. So what is driving your worship today? I think today's passage is actually one of the most important passages that you will ever see in the Bible. And here's why. In the Gospel of Matthew and the Gospel of Mark, Jesus talks about this incident, and he ends by saying, wherever the Gospel is preached, people are going to know this woman. And Jesus makes a very big deal out of this. Right? He, he doesn't say this to any, anyone else, but he says this to Mary. Why? Why would he say this to a woman who is worshiping? And here's why. It's because if you are in Christ, worship is something that you're going to do for the rest of your life. I'm a pastor, I'm a preacher, but I'm not going to be preaching in heaven. And God is not going to call me and, hey, hey, James, you have the next podium, right? You have to deliver a word. No, he's not going to do that. I'm a husband. But when I go to heaven, God is not going to call me and say, hey, can you watch Timothy today? <laughs> no, as a dad. And as a husband, you know, God is not going to tell me, hey, you got to take care of your wife right now. There's a lot of things that I do in this world. Even missions, serving, those things one day will stop. Have you thought about that? There's one thing that you're going to do for the rest of your life. Worship. Are you excited about that? Is that something you're looking forward to? If not, maybe you have to examine why you are worshiping God. Everything else that we do in this world, every title that you have is temporary but you will always have the title of a worshiper if you are in Christ. True worship acknowledges the worth and the works of Jesus. So on a personal level, I think you can apply this where we can identify some of the things that we are struggling to lay down at Jesus' feet. What are some things that are really precious to you? And it's a easy, there's an easy way to identify this. What do you get passionate about? What makes you mad? No, Judas, it was pretty clear what he was passionate about. He was passionate about money. And that's why when he saw something being wasted, his emotions came out. What makes you upset? What makes you passionate? There's something other than Jesus. Then I think you're worshiping the wrong thing. So let's, let's examine our hearts. Let's live a lifestyle of worship with passion, with humility. Let's give our all to Jesus. And on a kind of on a larger scale, as a, 
as a congregation, as a church, as the body of Christ, I think we can apply this as well. Because a lot of times, um, we, we, we are extra critical about worship, right? Uh, each week, we have staff meeting. And in that staff meeting, we go through each aspect of worship, starting from the greeting, uh, the praise. We go down the line, right? And I do the same thing for our youth service. You know, and throughout the years, I, I noticed that I was more concerned about what's going on during worship that I was having a hard time worshiping. I was so, so concerned whether or not the, the lyrics were correct, whether or not the bass was in tune, whether, whether or not everything was nice and clean, whether or not you know, the, the, the temperature was right, that I lost my, my, the object of my worship, which is Jesus. So what is it for you when you think about worship? Are you excited that you have an opportunity to declare the worth of Jesus? Or is it just another Sunday for you? I pray that our church will be known not by the amazing praise band, although we have an amazing praise band, not by the amazing preachers. I'm, I'm not sure if I'm an amazing preacher. <laughs> not by a good building, not by a good location, but by a place that is filled with true worshipers. Amen? Let's pray. When Jesus sees your life, he sees everything that's going on. Would he be able to say confidently that, man, that is the beautiful thing. That is the picture of a worshiper. That is what I want. If that is the case, praise God. But if it's not, it's okay. We simply need to repent. We simply need to realign our priorities in worship. We have to redefine what worship is all about. Worship is not about us. It's about Jesus. And maybe the place that you have to begin is at the cross. Because if you never encounter Jesus truly, if you are not a believer, it is really hard to worship. Because you see, the one thing that is driving Mary's worship is her love for Jesus, that she understands she's a recipient of God's grace, that she received mercy on behalf of the cross. She understands that her past is forgiven, that in her present she has purpose, and her future has hope. Are you aware of that? Is Jesus worth it to you? Or is your worship simply a waste? For the rest of our life, if you are in Christ, you're going to worship God. And my prayer is that every one of us today will get it right from very, this very moment. Let's pray.